we started a new series uh, a few weeks ago called Say What? And if you have, have been here, you know the reason that the series is called Say What? is because I would imagine those are some of the very first words these disciples said when they heard Jesus begin his teaching. Is Say what? That, that does not sound right. That doesn't sound like the way the world is supposed to work. And the reason I wanted to spend the time this summer in the Sermon on the Mount is because right now we live in a world where everyone is bombarding you with different messages and telling you what to think and how you should perceive things and how you should vote. And um, you have your 24-hour news cycle. You have your political affiliations. You have social media constantly bombarding you with messages. And my hope is that we can kind of take all of those filters that, that are over our lives and over all of the current events and just push them to the side and replace them with one single filter. These words that Jesus spoke to his earliest followers and disciples 2,000 years ago, that they would be the way that we work through every situation the way that we see the world, the way that we decide how we react, that that would be what forms us as followers of Jesus and people in this world. Because as we said last week as we began the Beatitudes, Jesus did not come to start a new movement. Jesus came to begin a new world. To say, I understand this is how you think the world works. But I want to take that filter that you have and get rid of it. And we're beginning a new kingdom, a new world. And all other kingdoms will submit and bow their knee to this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he began to say things like in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, the kingdom is now among you. It's here and it's now, and yes, it's still to come, and there is more and there is better, but the kingdom has begun with the resurrection of Christ. When the tomb was empty, this new world had began where the way things we assumed worked were no longer the way things worked. Because for us, we had this assumption that death was the end. It was the end of the story. It was the end of the line. And with the resurrection, it erased everything and said, now the world functions differently. But for many of you, my guess is right now, it's a very difficult time to remember that. It's very difficult to remember that death is not the end when every day you hear stories of disease and destruction and death. And you see murders, and you see rioting, and you see protests. And you look and think, this, this is how things are. To which Jesus would say, no, this is not what my kingdom looks like. And you and I are called to be builders of that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Because that kingdom is one that will last. And that kingdom is one that goes on and on forever. And that kingdom is the one that will stand. And all other kingdoms will submit to King Jesus.
And as we've been going through this time, I know for many of you it's been difficult. And I was thinking through this last week some stories from the Old Testament of people who were under King David and things were going and the the nation of Israel was flourishing and life was so good. Things seemed to be as they should be. And then things start to fall. And the nation of Israel begins to struggle. And this nation who was doing so well and things were going so good found themselves being shipped off to Babylon. They they were ripped and uprooted from their homes. They were taken to this foreign nation. And these prophets, these false prophets come around and they start saying, you know what, it's not going to be long and we're going to be back in Jerusalem and things are going to be good. And I think the reason that they're saying this is not because they're trying to, to be accusative, they're not trying to be misleading, but they're people who don't have hope. And they're people who are kind of on their last leg and on their last breath, and they're not sure what to do. And then comes along a prophet named Jeremiah. And he says, not so fast. I know you think that you're going to get back to Jerusalem really quickly, but it's probably not going to happen during your lifetime. It's probably going to be a few generations removed. And we we focused an entire series around this short little group of verses in the book of Jeremiah back in November. If if you that was 2019, it seems like 16 years ago at this point. But we did this series called For Tyler. And it was focused around Jeremiah 29 and it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Going on. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so this prophet Jeremiah comes along and says, I know you want to get out of here, and I know you want to go back to Jerusalem, but it's going to be 70 years before you get to go back. And the people wait. And they sing songs as they wait. By the rivers of Babylon... We sat down and wept. We remembered Zion, which is talking about Jerusalem, Israel, the way things were supposed to be. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors ask us to sing songs. Our tormentors demanded for songs of joy. They said, sing us the songs of the Lord. Sing us the songs of Zion. He said, how can we sing songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And there's this this time where they're longing for things to be as they were before, and they're not. And they say, "How, how can we come with great joy and sing these songs right now? 
when it looks like things are broken and not the way they're supposed to be. They were waiting. And then, then comes the amazing news from the prophet Isaiah that Jerusalem, your home, you can go back now. And some of the people, they didn't want to go because they had established their new home. And they had built, and they had settled down, and they had planted vineyards. And they were a part of this new city, this new community, and things were good, and they didn't want to return. But there's this small group of exiles who hear this news and think, we get to go back to Jerusalem. Things are going to be so good once again. Let's go. And Isaiah talks about the hills being made low and the the valleys being lifted up and these people are walking on this highway as they get back to Jerusalem. And this small remnant of exiles arrives in Jerusalem to find the city is not what they remembered. It wasn't like the stories they had heard from long ago. And the vineyards and orchards are burned. And the temple is destroyed. And they find themselves looking around thinking, this is not how things were supposed to look when we came home. But it is. And they find some money after a few years, and they were able to build the foundation of the temple, but they couldn't complete it. And things didn't look like they had hoped as they waited for these 70 years for their return. I wonder, for so many of us right now, if we don't find ourselves in that in-between. Because I know when this started, we had conversations as staff and shepherds week after week as we were meeting on Zoom. (laughs) I cannot wait until we get back together again. That first Sunday is going to be amazing because so many people are going to be here and they're all going to be so excited and we're going to hug each other's neck and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate. And Chuck did a a poll like, what songs do we want to sing? Because this is going to be awesome and we're all going to be back together and it's going to be so exciting. And then came that first Sunday. And it wasn't quite what we pictured. Because we came in with masks on. And we came in spread out. And we came in saying, I know we're a hugging church and we love being together, but you can't really hug each other and shake hands. And I've heard people say, like, well, well th- it's great that we're able to do this, but we, we're just going to stay at home until it gets back to normal, which I, I understand. It's not the way... We imagined it. It's not the way we pictured it. And every week we we sit in our meeting on Monday and we start talking about, hey, what can we do next week? Because the hope is always, okay, we can start reducing spacing because the numbers are going down and things are are getting better. But then we start seeing the numbers are, are going back up. 
And we hear stories, I've heard stories all over ESPN this week of college football programs being shut down because of the virus, Clemson and LSU, who have 20 and 30 players with a virus. But then, then when it hits home, is when you get a text from Beth saying, I have the virus and I'm in the unit at Mother Francis and I'm not doing well. Because every part of me, let me just tell you, every part of me wants to get back to normal. Every part of me wants to just fill up every single pew and go back to the way things were. Because I'll just tell you, for me, it's so much easier. It's so much easier. And I know that, that for some of you, you think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm already ready to meet Jesus, and that's great. But as leaders, we feel a heavy burden and responsibility to make decisions based on what's good for everyone. And it's hard right now. And I know for you and, and for, for me and the rest of our staff, for our shepherds, our deacons, is every single week when we get together, we, we take so much time and energy and prayer trying to make the best decisions for the good of the church. And we're getting back to the way things were, but it doesn't look like we imagined. And it's hard. You see, it was to those very exiles that Jesus comes along up on this mountainside. These people who were displaced and longing for hope. And he says, I know you think you know how the world works. But let me tell you who the people of this kingdom who are truly blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart peacemakers, the persecuted, to which that crowd, I think, would have said, um, Jesus, that's, that's not the way things work. So he, he makes, he gives this blessing to these people who are down and out. But after he blesses them, he makes a declaration about them. He calls them. And he doesn't say, blessed are you, it's going to be okay, and someday you're going to receive this reward. But the declaration is, you who are blessed, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And what's fascinating about salt and light is if I were to hold them, I can show you a light, if you were to hold up a light, if you stick the light in a place that is light, it's not that noticeable. It's not that different from the environment that surrounds it. But if you take the light 
and you put it in the darkness, it cannot go unnoticed. You and I were never meant to simply live life as lights among all the other lights but to come and be the light here so that we could go out there and be the light of the world, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Because salt and light, as it is, they stand alone, but they are at their best, they are at their strongest, they are at their most effective when they are put in the presence of other objects within that environment. Salt works the best when it's covering bland food or when it's used as a preservative. Light works the best when it's placed in the midst of darkness because there it is the most noticed and there it is the most seen. And Jesus comes and says, you here, you are to be salt and light. You are to be the salt of the earth. You are to be the light of the world. You aren't to be pushy. You aren't to go out and try to make sure everything is based on what you do. You go and be a part of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, and people will notice. And the question that I can't help but ask is, are you as relaxed and patient and trusting in God as Jesus is? Are you as relaxed and patient and trusting in God as Jesus is. When, when Jesus says the kingdom of this world will never stand against the kingdom of God, it, nothing will ever prevail over it. Do you believe that? And do you believe that your job is not an obligation, but a divine vocation? It's not an obligation that I have to live like this, but it is the vocation that the divine God has given me to go and be salt and light in this world. This is not something I have to do. It's something God has given me the gift to do, that I get to be a part of his kingdom, that I'm building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So now go and demonstrate and announce this is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like as we feed the poor, as we help the hurting. Because right now, here, here's what I'm hearing from, from friends who are doctors. Is right now, depression, anxiety is increasing. We're hearing from people in our church that, that they're more and more lonely. That they're hurting. We, we have family members who are having to say goodbye to other family members when they can't be close to other people to embrace them and they're hurting. Right now, being salt and light might look entirely different than it did six months ago. But nevertheless, we are still called to be salt and light whatever the world around us looks like. The world around us does not change our vocation because it is divine and it is given by God Almighty and entrusted into your hands. And that, that's the craziest thing about the kingdom of God to me 
As Jesus starts this kingdom movement and he speaks these words and then he goes and he dies on a cross, he's raised and he leaves things in the hands of basically 11 ordinary guys and says, okay, it's now up to you. And, and there's not this point where he says, okay, that, <laughs> that didn't work. We're going to have to go back and do this thing all over again. He says, no, it's in your hands. And I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And I'm going to live through you. And your life is going to be a blessing to all you encounter. But it is entrusted into your hands. It doesn't mean that the kingdom of God relies on you. But it does rely on you to be salt and light. Because there's nothing that you and I can do that's going to build this beyond what Jesus has built. Because what Jesus has built is perfect. And when it is all fully and finally finished, it's going to be this incredible scene, the scene that we're longing for right now. And I think that's what makes it so discouraging. Right now, what we want is revelation. We want, we want that end where, where, where John gets this glimpse of what it's going to be like. And he says, I walked into this throne room and there were these four creatures and they were bowed down and they were worshiping God and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then I, I pans out and there are these elders that are circling the throne. And then you pull back again and there are these multitudes, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, all centered around the throne, worshiping the Lamb who was slain, seeing glory and honor and power to the Lamb who was slain. And this is the way things are supposed to be. We're waiting for that everything to be brought together and everything to be complete and everything to be in unity. But right now, we're left with these questions. How can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? How can we sing these songs when we're in a foreign land and things don't look like they should? But as we said, the world that surrounds us does not change your vocation because your vocation your calling to be builders of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven never changes and your role your role is to go stand in the midst of the darkness and be the light the light not that people look at and point to you, but the light that people look at and through you see Jesus. They see a Jesus who died for them and who loves them and embraces them and is saving them day after day. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
Now go and be what God has already declared you are. Father, today in this place, we pray for your blessing on us. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could be salt, so that we could be light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.